Hi, I'm Nikki from Teaching Autism and welcome to the Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Are you an autism or special education professional? Are you a teacher or therapist looking for support and new ideas? You may even be a parent, family member or carer. This podcast is perfect to help you find out more information, support and get some of your questions answered. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to welcome back Cassie from Adventures in Behaviour. Today, me and Cassie are going to be talking all about using ABA in instruction and I am so excited for you to hear this episode. Let's dive right in and I will introduce you to Cassie. Hi Cassie, welcome back to the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. I am so excited to have you here today to talk all about using ABA in instruction. Before we start, could you give a quick little introduction to who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, I am a special education teacher in Texas and I work with students um, in middle school, so sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. It's ages like 11 to 14, which I swore up and down that I would never teach middle school. I was going to do elementary or high school, but I didn't want anything to do with middle school kids. And now I'm just in love. This is my second year and I just love this age. I'm also a board certified behavior analyst and I do private um, ABA therapy part-time on weekends and like during holidays and summers, I'll pick up you know, a few more hours than um, during the school year. So yeah, that's kind of my experience. This is my eighth year teaching. I'm going on a year and a half of working um, part-time for the ABA company as well. So you're definitely busy and you definitely have a mixture of things going on. And the last time we spoke, you were in the middle of doing your ABA qualification and now you're fully qualified and working that as well. Yes, yes. I had, I think, just started as a behavior therapist for the company, was finishing my supervision hours. Um, I tested in November of last year, so newly certified. And so in January, I started uh, as a BCBA for the company. That's really exciting. And it's so hard work. So I can imagine how much of a relief it is to finally be qualified and working now and doing the job. So Well done. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So for anyone who's listening, because people sometimes, ABA, they kind of Google it, but they don't really know what it is. And you can get lost very easily on Google if you type in (laughs) ABA. So for those listening, could you just give a super quick kind of quick introduction just to what ABA is? Yeah, so um, ABA is Applied Behavior Analysis, and at its very basics, it is the application of behavioral science principles, and um, you can do that in the school, um, you can do that in a private setting for therapy, which is what most people know ABA for, is private therapy for kids with autism, but that's not all that it is. There's um, even a field of ABA um, that looks at like organizational behavior management, so like businesses and how they can use behavior principles to help their employees grow and become a more successful company. So there's a wide range of applications. Obviously, we're talking about school and children, um, but at its foundation, it is the application of behavioral science. 
Thank you so much for that. And I love how, like you say, it's not just for schools and for children who are diagnosed with autism. It can be used in sort of different aspects of life as well. And it's really important to remember that. And also, you said you are BCBA. Now, for those who are listening, this is going to sound like a bunch of letters if they don't really know what's going on. So what is a BCBA? How do you become one? And what is your role? What does it look like? So uh, BCBA stands for Board Certified Behavior Analyst. It is a master's level certification. So you do have to have a master's degree in order to get it. Um, The behavior analyst or the BCBA um, in schools is going to work with teachers and students um, to do functional behavior assessments, help create behavior plans. They'll do coaching and modeling, assisting in the classroom. But, you know, the teacher is still the primary person responsible for for those students. In a private setting, a BCBA is uh, going to be like your case manager. They're going to be creating all of the, they'll be doing the assessments. They'll be creating all of the behavior plans, the treatment plans, program materials. They supervise the um, behavior therapist or the registered behavior technicians and kind of are more like a supervisory role um, as well as like they'll probe for like skill acquisition. But the primary implementer in a ABA setting for therapy would be the registered behavior technicians or behavior therapists. Um, Some companies do have BCBAs that provide direct therapy, which is what I do. It's a very small company. So I still do the direct therapy which I absolutely love so it's definitely a full-on job it's definitely a lot to it but it's going to be very rewarding at the same time and I bet it definitely keeps you busy as well in your spare time yes absolutely (laughs) so in our world we were talking before how ABA is a little bit of marmite so how did you decide to start following ABA and wanting to become qualified to be a BCBA and using this with your students? So um, I actually have a twin sister um, and she was a special ed teacher and she actually did her BCBA certification uh, before I did. Um, And she started working for a private therapy company. And I was going through a lot of like negative stuff in the classroom that I was in, I was working with um, kids who have emotional disturbance or were um, who have autism, but were able to um, maintain with the general education curriculum. It just their behaviors got in the way. And I didn't have admin support, was really struggling. And my sister suggested that I look into ABA as just a way to like educate myself on more behavioral principles. And so I did. And I also was like, well, if I just can't handle school anymore, then I could, you know, if I did this, then I could go work in private therapy. Um, So I would have a way out of the school system because at that time I was just so unhappy. And so that's really how it started. And it just has kind of, you know, bloomed from there. I still absolutely love teaching. I'm now, you know, working with kids who are on an alternate curriculum. So a different population. And I just love it. That sounds perfect. It's like it all kind of fell into place for you in the end, although it started during that rough time. It's like everything's sort of fallen into place and you're in a much happier place now balancing the both as well. Yes, absolutely. 
So who can benefit from ABA? I know we touched on this a little bit earlier on when we said about how it can be used in the business world as well and different areas of our lives. But for teachers and sort of in the education niche, for anyone listening, who do you think benefits from having ABA? Uh, really, anybody can benefit from it. Um, you know, I worked with kids who had emotional disturbance and autism previously. Now I work with kids who have intellectual disabilities and um, autism, um, Down syndrome, those sorts of um, disabilities. But you can also apply it in a general education classroom with um, group contingencies, class-wide systems. You know, there's uh, direct instruction uh, stems from uh, applied behavior analysis principles. And so that can also be used in a general education classroom. So really, any kid in school could benefit. Definitely. And I think that's pretty much for a lot of things that we do with our students in our classrooms. People assume that they only work for students, you know, who are diagnosed with autism or have special needs. But a lot of what we teach can be used in a general education classroom as well. Yes. So you mentioned that you've started to use ABA and I know you do this as part of a private company as well. And you use it as part of your classroom as well, don't you? Yes. Um, So there's a difference between using the principles to just better your instruction and actually implementing therapy. Um, So in my classroom, I simply use the knowledge that I have of these behavior principles to improve my instructional practices. That sounds great. So what are some ways, some examples maybe that you could share with us for other people who are listening, who maybe they might be considering sort of learning more about ABA and taking that qualification to start using this in their classrooms too? So um, the the one that um, I like to use as an example that just kind of like blows everybody's minds is... Um, to use training to teach like long division or other like math calculation processes. And training is simply taking a complex skill and breaking down all of the different little behaviors and skills that the kids need to know in order to do that big process. And then you systematically teach. So in What I was doing, I was using forward chaining, which is you teach to mastery each step. So you start with that very first step, teach it to mastery. And so they perform it, you prompt, and then you do the rest of the math problem. And then once they have that one step mastered, then you add in the next step. But all the while, you're still completing the math problem so that they're seeing all of the steps repeated. And you do that over and over and over again, adding in those steps until they've mastered the whole process. And so like I, I shared that a while back and it just like blew everybody's minds because we don't think to use chaining in that way. We think of chaining as teaching like toothbrushing or um, washing hands or, you know, like life skills, which you certainly can do that in school as well. But it was just how can I apply it to the academic side as well? That's amazing that you took it and then used it for something like that, you know, in maths. People wouldn't even think, like you said, people expect chaining to be used for life skills and things. That's amazing. You've been able to put it into other areas of your teaching as well. And I think a lot of people listening, they will have their minds blown, like you said, because when I speak to people, a lot of people assume that ABA is sort of 
just therapy and or just behavior or just like they don't really understand like the full full thing of ABA and like you say using it in maths people wouldn't even think that you were using parts of ABA in that like that that is crazy and I bet it's been really helpful for your students oh for sure and it also you know sometimes if I don't start out that way, like, um, or if they've already got like some splinter skills, I can still use that task analysis and then see where the breakdown in the process is. So let's say like they're able to do the first four steps by themselves. I don't have to start at step one, then I can start with step five. So they can do one through five and then continue on from there with that process. That's amazing, especially with that progress that they're having ongoing as well. I love that. Even I wouldn't have ever thought, you know, to use something like that as part of that. It's amazing how you've done that and how seamlessly you seem to have done it as well. Thank you. So we've on about now you've been using ABA in the classroom and obviously you've used it outside the classroom as well. But what are some of the positives you have seen personally from using it either in the classroom with your students and you've been using some of those principles of it or when you've been doing your therapy as well, your private therapy, what are some of those benefits that you've seen? Just the level of progress that the kids can make. You know, we, in my classroom, I do, it's not common um, because our school district has actually two levels of um, classroom for kids that are on an alternate curriculum and mine is kind of the the higher, of, I want to say higher because that's not, um, but it's the kids who can learn the academic skills who aren't necessarily working on toileting and, you know, the more life skills type things. But we do occasionally get a student who is using a speech device or, you know, is still learning to use those speech devices. And just the systematic use of reinforcement with that device and teaching, using it, and just always referring back to it, doing naturalistic teaching, which is, you know, you Using principles of ABA in the natural setting. And it's mind-blowing the progress that I can see in the kids at school, the kids in my private therapy. I have students that grew a grade level in math because I only teach math and science, a grade level in math in less than a full school year. So it's just, I mean, the growth of the kids, the progress is amazing. And for people who work in the same environment that I do, you you guys know that a year's worth of progress in less than that time is like just unheard of. (laughs) Definitely. That's like something, you know, you should have at least had teacher of the year or teacher of the day. Like (laughs) You don't hear those that like we always say, don't we, how progress is slow and don't expect huge progress and you've just gone against everything everyone says and you've shown it can be done using the right strategies and obviously for your students you having and using ABA principles of it in your classroom is what's working really well for them. Yes and you know not I'm not saying like every single one of my students demonstrated that kind of growth it's not I mean the every student is different they're um a abilities to grow in that way are different and um, we celebrate the progress no matter how big or small it is Um, but every kid made progress definitely and I think people sometimes don't realize how 
invested we get in our students for just the smallest of steps like we could throw a party sometimes for like the smallest of achievements but but because it's so huge for us and for that student for us it's something that you know maybe we didn't expect to see yet and when it happens it's like I've cried so many times I have cried (laughs) oh for sure and my my students think like some of them are more like of a typical developing middle schooler the they kind of present at that level and they're like miss what's wrong with you (laughs) just happy okay (laughs) exactly I think we do become so invested in them and I think because of the nature of the environment that we're in as well we do sort of get a lot closer to our students than maybe you expected to when you were doing your teacher training and sort of all that back way then and then all of a sudden before you know it you have like 50 adopted children that you would do anything for (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And they know it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So all this has been really positive and it's been a great way to see, you know, APA used in a positive light because I know it's not as common here in the UK. Like ABA is still very much new. People are still very much using it. Um, I done the training in it like two and a half years ago, but we weren't using it. So I didn't do my hours. But for me, it was really good because I wanted to see something before I made a judgment on it. You know how you see so much online and you think, oh my gosh, it must be awful. And everyone's saying these awful things. And then when I done it, it it blew my mind how hard it was, first of all, to do it. (laughs) I was not expecting how hard it was, but also like you said, I was able to take so much from it and I'm able to use that moving forward. So what would you say to someone who maybe has a negative view of ABA right now who's never, you know, doesn't actually know what ABA is, but from what they've seen, negative reports, what would you say to them to give it a try? So uh, first, I do want to acknowledge that there is some negativity and some not great practices that have occurred in um, the past of ABA. Um, You know, there for a while, ABA practitioners would do like forced eye contact, Um, you know, compliance drills and, um, you know, things like that, like trying to eliminate stims that weren't necessarily impacting the learner. And that's for many practitioners now, not what we do. We, uh, we are upheld by a code of ethics. And if you, if you are following that code of ethics, then you wouldn't be necessarily engaging in those practices, because we're supposed to look at improving their lives and teaching them socially valid skills and looking at what's important to the client. And so our child is our client and their stakeholders. Yes, their parents, but also, you know, we have to look at what is going to benefit this child most and um, eliminating a STEM that is not like not harming them, not in impeding their learning. That's not something that we need to be focused on. So I would say to people who ha- have seen the negativity, yes, there are people out there doing it in a not great way. My hope is that with doing these podcasts and sharing with the world that people can see that there are people out there doing better. There's a movement among ABA professionals. It's the hashtag do better movement. And it's all about collaborating with autistic individuals, hearing their stories, knowing what's valid and important to them, and just trying to do better. Because we know that these things can help 
we just, we want to make sure that we're doing it in the right way. And it's not something that you have to be certified in to use ABA. You can, um, you know, learn, do some of the trainings and not ever get certified, but you can still implement some of this in your classroom because like I said, it's just the application of behavioral science. That was perfect. Thank you, Cassie, because I know I sort of threw that in there as a sort of curveball (laughs) for you and it's so early in the morning, but like you said, it's a really important question to sort of have and a conversation. And I love that do better movement as well, where the autistic community are getting involved and sharing their views. What I usually see to people as well is like so much progress has happened over the years that sometimes we don't realize how much progress is happening. But like you say, everyone is different as well. And sometimes it's about finding that right individual for your child and your student. Like every student wants something different, don't they? And like, I know I'm not all of my students' favorite. I hope I'm some of their favorite. (laughs) But I think we like every student connects, don't they? With a different way of learning, a different sort of teacher and different things. So maybe, you know, take that into account as well. But what you said about the training was really interesting because that's kind of the route I ended up going on because I didn't do the supervision hours to become um, fully qualified. But I learned so much from the course that I did do up until then. And a lot of it does stick with you, especially if you're using it. And a lot of it as well was stuff I was using without knowing I was using, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure. And like, I tell people, okay, so like everybody knows the marble jar in the classroom, right? And like you, when your class is doing good, you like give them a handful of the marbles. That's ABA. It's a, it's a group contingency and that's ABA. So like we are already doing things, token boards, like so many of the best practice strategies are rooted in a, a applied behavior analysis. Definitely. As I was going through the training, I would be like watching the videos and taking part and I'd be like, wait, I already do this. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> I can, you know, that's great because I know it works. And then that sort of fueled me a little bit more to keep learning as well and keep going through the course. So like you say, I would definitely recommend for people to do some training. And I know you can get some online as well, can't you? Just to sort of get a feel for it and find out a little bit more as well. Yes. And there's actually, I can't remember it off the top of my head. I'll look it up and I'll send it to you so you can include it in the show notes. But there is a free 40-hour registered behavior technician training. So in order to get that certification, you have to do the 40-hour course and then you have to do some competency assessments with a BCBA and then like take a test. So, but even if you don't want to go through the the full process, you can take that. It's free, 40-hour RBT training, and it gives you a foundational knowledge of ABA. That sounds perfect. I'll definitely get the link off you for that, and I'll put it in the show notes then for anyone who wants to find out a little bit more. What advice would you give to someone who wants to become sort of certified in ABA and maybe pursue it as maybe part-time like you do in a private um, clinic outside of hours or even full-time? So definitely research. There's the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, BACB. They are the certification body for behavior analysts. And so you can research the requirements on there. You can also go to ABAI. That's, I think it stands for Applied Behavior Analysis International, I think is what it stands for. But ABAI is the website and they're the ones who do the verified course sequences. So if you do want to become a BCBA, you have to take a verified course sequence 
for um, your graduate hours. And so you'll need to verify that the institution is listed there because you don't want to go through all that work, trust me, and then find out that it's not. Because <laughs> that would be a lot of money and time that you're out then. So those are the two places I would start. You know, take that free training, see what it's about, reach out to local therapy companies and see if they need a behavior therapist. A lot of times they'll put you through the training themselves. Some places, depending on insurance and funding sources, they may not require you to have the RBT certification. And so that's rare, but they may not. And so then you you might be able to work part-time before you even were able to take that course. That's perfect. Thank you. And I know a lot of people who might be considering that and like, you, you know, with yourself where you weren't in the best of places and it was that extra door for you and you had options. And it's always helpful to have those options, isn't it? Just in case, because you never know how school can go and what situation you may find yourself in. And it's good to have options for sure. Oh, for sure. Especially in the COVID age. <laughs> Definitely. Just, you know, I, I find myself feeling much more secure and safe health-wise when I go into my clients' homes than going into the school with so many people. Um, and I don't know if that's true or not. It's just my personal internal feelings about it. So, um, you know, if you're a teacher looking for a way out of the school system because of this, then that's possibly another you know, way to continue to work with kids, but less risk possibly. I don't know. I'm not a health professional. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Debbie, I know how you feel though. I'm still very much the same. And um, we are continuing online learning for the full year ahead. And although that scares me a little bit, I actually feel so much better for it because I'm just not ready yet to be in I don't know, to be around people. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I actually only, so my school district starts September 8th in hybrid. But what that looks like for middle school is all of our kids attending four days a week at home, one day a week. So we can do a deep cleaning and it's only supposed to be for four weeks and then they're going to reevaluate. So I have about a third of my kids who have opted for fully at home. Um, and then the rest of them will be at school with me starting September 8th. So it, it's definitely something that has me on a little bit of edge right now. But, you know, I'm just going to show up and do my best for them. And we'll, you know, use ABA to teach all those hygiene skills, too. That's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> Able to use that ABA moving forwards. But also talking about parents, I'm going to throw one final question at you because I've had some parents reach out today from when I done that little quick Instagram story mm-hmm. saying I was having you come on. And two parents, they have been considering ABA privately at home. I don't know if it makes a difference. One's in America, one's here in the UK. I'm assuming it's going to be pretty much similar, your advice for them. They have been thinking about starting ABA for their children, but they aren't 100% sure if maybe it's something that would work. What advice would you give to them? So my advice is to um, treat it like you would any sort of therapy or doctor or um, medical um, professional. You have to find the right one for you. BCBAs, we all use the same behavior principles, but 
just like teachers, the way that they implement, the way that they build that relationship, the way that they um, do therapy is going to be different um, depending on just their methods and the way that they they do things, um, just like um, a mental health counselor is going to use different strategies and it's going to be different. You have to find the right person. So interview, take your time, make sure that it's what you think is the best fit, ask the questions. Um, and, you know, the, the, ther- the companies and the therapists that are going to be right for you will take the time to answer those questions. Definitely. That was perfect. Thank you. And like we were sort of saying earlier, kids all like different types of people as well. Like there's always that one person that kids like more than everyone else, just because the way that maybe they deliver something, it could be down to the way that they turn up and the energy they have and the way that they talk and things. But like you say, it's just important to find that right fit for everyone involved. And if it's not the right fit, don't feel bad about going and finding someone someone else. Um, you know, it's, you have to, in order for it to be effective and you have to find the right fit for you. Definitely. And like going back to the classroom structure, you know, kids always relate to one member of staff better than the rest in a classroom, don't they? And we don't get offended by it. We just know, okay, great. He prefers so-and-so. So that's who he can have today. And we are, I think we're pretty much, we've got thick skin when we, we've got to have. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today, Cassie. If there was one takeaway you want people to have today about using ABA in instruction, what would it be? My takeaway would be just don't be afraid of it. You're probably already doing so much, right? Uh, Most behavior plans and things like that are rooted in ABA. You can take pieces of it and implement in your instruction and it's not going to hurt anybody right? It's just a different way of presenting the material. That is perfect. Thank you so much, Cassie. It's been great talking to you again. I love having you come on here and picking your brains and (laughs) hearing about how it's all going for you as well, because it's so nice to see how you've progressed as well and how you're in that much happier place now too. Thank you. I really enjoyed coming back on. I'm so glad. So I'm going to put together a list. Where can everyone find you? I am on... Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, um, with um, the name Adventures in Behavior. Instagram, you have to do adventures.in.behavior. I do have a blog that is, it was up last time, but not really, wasn't really actively posting, and I am now. It's adventuresinbehavior.com. I'm on Teachers Pay Teachers as well, Adventures in Behavior. Lots of things on there that are rooted in ABA. I'm trying to get more. I'm actually putting together a math task analysis, data sheet and visuals bundle so that you can implement training using um, those task analyses that I've put together. That sounds amazing. And you've done the hard work for us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. So it's, um, you know, visuals, but then also the task analysis, data sheets. And then there's also going to be a little blurb about chaining and how to implement. That is perfect. Thank you so much. I will get all those links. I'll put them in the show notes so everyone can head over there and find you. Thank you so much for coming on today, Cassie. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast episode with Cassie from Adventures Behaviour and myself to talk all about using ABA in instruction. I hope that you have found this podcast episode helpful and informative for you to be able to put some of these steps into practice with your students. I am linking all of the information that we discussed today in the show notes, so make sure you head on over there and find all the relevant links. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again soon.